1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Amen and amen. I have commended this church, and I meant it, because when I read James 4.1, and it says, Whence come these wars and fightings among you? Isn't that terrible to have to write an epistle and say that to the 12 tribes scattered abroad in a variety of churches? They're fighting with each other. When I open up the epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they were fighting among themselves. When I get to chapter 3, they're fighting among themselves. Paul said, I can't even teach you little babies because you're so carnal because you're still fighting. They had preacher factions in one church. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Jesus. And there they went at each other. Isn't that terrible? We don't have a church like that. I want to comfort the people of God where they deserve to be comforted. For instance, next Sunday when we come to the Lord's table, we've never made the Lord's table into a buffet where the rich bring expensive wine, expensive bread, and are stuffing themselves, and the poor members can't even get to the table. Isn't that a horrible thing? We're not guilty of that. And trust me, I haven't turned over a new leaf and I'm the new Robert Schuler. I just want to be fair with the Word of God. And I'll tell you exactly why this subject is important to me to want to stay with humility for both services and not move on to the devil because being sober and being vigilant because we have an adversary the devil deserves a Sunday of its own. I don't want to distract you and I want us to press on and be better and better. I want us to love each other and stoop to each other and have a towel girded around our waist and to hate pride and to be looking for pride whenever it sneaks into our conversation or our thoughts. 24-7 we've got to fight the battle against pride. It is unlike most other sins. Lord, help us. He hates pride. Do you know why? Because there's only one being in the universe that can have any. It's Him. And he loves to boast and brag about himself. If you've ever read the 40s of Isaiah, that's what he spends his time doing. I can't find any other God like me. He looked on everything he's made and he said, that is good. In fact, that is very good. He said that about his works. He's not guilty of any sin whatsoever. When you're infinitely perfect in all that you create and all that you are and all that you do, you can talk the way that the Lord talks. And I love the way that He talks. And I love His attitude about Himself that there is none to be compared unto me. And when I look at the, when I look at the nations of the earth, they're less than the dust of the balance. The dust that you don't care about wiping off because it's not going to affect the outcome of weighing something. And that's what we are. Thank you, Lord. Okay, 1 Peter 5.5, with me for a few minutes. God resisteth the proud. That is a statement that we want to be on the other side of. God resisteth the proud. If you do not get rid of the pride in your life, God is going to come against you, 
I don't know how he's going to come against you. It could be your health. It could be your children. It could be your finances. It could be any number of things. Rip the pride out of your life. God resists the proud. Bible synonyms for pride are arrogancy. These are Bible words. Conceit, haughtiness, loftiness, high-minded, glory, stoutness of heart, a lifted up heart, being puffed up, vainglory, and vanity. Lord, save us from all of those words and what they mean. Pride is a high or overweening opinion of one's own qualities, your attainments, or your estate, which gives rise to a feeling and attitude of superiority over and contempt for others. It's inordinate self-esteem. It's just wrong. It's thinking that you're something, that you're special, when we're not. We're sinners saved by grace. We deserve to go to hell. We're foolish. We've made more mistakes than we can remember. All of us. Just rip it out of our lives. Lord, rip it out while we're listening to your precious word. Look at Jeremiah 48 and verse 29 to get some of these synonyms together in one place. Jeremiah 48 and verse 29. The only reason we're turning to the verse is because it gives us some of these synonyms. Jeremiah 48 and verse 29. We have heard the pride of Moab. He is exceeding proud. His loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. Moab. There's God tying some of these words together for us. How did the Lord take care of Moab? By my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. My servant, Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Chaldeans, king of the Babylonian Empire, came to deal destruction to Jerusalem and Israel and Judah, he also took care of the nations that were round about them. Jeremiah had an international ministry. You know what international means? It means to... More nations than one. His ministry was international. And he warned those other nations, if you'll humbly submit and write a letter to Nebuchadnezzar, that you'll be his tributaries, and that he's my servant, my king, he'll spare you. But if you fight him, he will level you to the ground. And he did. And so we have Jeremiah dealing with Moab. But for, so I'll get off track. See, I, I love Nebuchadnezzar. Why do I love Nebuchadnezzar? Does anybody know? Because God said he's my servant. Because when God made an image with precious me- base metals to precious metals, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. Nebuchadnezzar was king of kings and lord of lords. The Lord allowed that title for him in the pages of Scripture. The Lord let him write a chapter of the Bible. What chapter of the Bible did Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians, write? Daniel chapter 4. I thought it good to show some wonders that the Lord God of heaven has done toward me. I was on a leash for seven years. Okay, let's get back to 1 Peter 5. Well, let's just go with that one for a while. Did that man say those that walk in pride he is able to? Abase. Does God resist the proud? Did he give him a warning? About a year later, he was walking through his palace and he was saying, I am quite the king. Look at what I have built for the majesty of my kingdom. And he heard something from heaven. Your kingdom has departed from you. Drop down to hands and knees and crawl out of here. And for seven years, he ate among the cattle and the oxen. And his hairs were grown out like bird feathers. And his fingernails like bird's claws. Until he lifted up his eyes to heaven. 
Does everybody? Does anybody else in here love Daniel four? Yes. Don't, brother, don't we love Daniel four? Yes. Let's get let's get down before the Lord takes away our tranquility. Daniel said, "Listen to me. There might be a lengthening of your tranquility." But he didn't listen. We get this sermon today that there can be a lengthening of our tranquility. It is deceitful to think higher of yourself than you ought to think. That's Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. It's Galatians 6 and verse 3. If there is contention or fighting or quarreling or grudging in your life, it's from pride. I taught you that in the first service. Pride is the thought and worry of what others think of you with the desire of vain glory. That means glory that is vanity. That means glory that is worthless. That means you're chasing a soap bubble. Just forget it all. The only thing we ever want to hear from anyone is God saying, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That is all that counts. Rip everything else away and let's be servants until that great day shows itself. Pride is the thought of self-preservation and self-defense in the face of any criticism. Take criticism. It's probably true. And be a servant for the person criticizing you. Pride is the envy of the advantage of others. For you feel that you deserve what they have. Let's not envy anyone. Let's rejoice and be excited for them. Joel, if James gets a job on the 23rd floor of something in Sparkle City, are you going to be excited for him? Okay. I don't think there's any 23-story buildings in Sparkle City. And I speak with as much kindness as I can about Spartanburg. I, I was thinking about that. While James was up here, I was wondering, is Joel back there pulling for James to outdo him? That's humility. Let's not be proud. Listen, we're, ex- we're excited enough for you, Joel. You don't need to be excited for yourself. We're excited for you. James, that story about that you gave... The Lord's put a net under you and He expects you to go for the gold. Do you you understand that that's what He's telling you? To press on, son, and ask for a little bit more than you were going to ask for? The companies that have come through have already upped multi-pack by uh, 25%. That's just flat out exciting. Let's just lift God up. Let's just lift the Lord up and get ourselves down. Not for our sake, Lord. Not for our honor and glory. Not for our sake, Lord. All for Thy honor and glory. Have mercy upon us and bless us. Pride is the comparison of yourself to others and finding the things in which you exceed them. We don't want to do that. That's emulation. That's a Bible word that's called emulation. The desire to equal or exceed someone in something. Let's not... Now listen, the Bible tells us that we can emulate certain things because we want to be spiritual champions for the Lord and it tells us to earnestly covet the best gifts, but ordinarily we don't want to equal or exceed each other. We want you other, we want others to outperform us. We want you to be blessed. I'm saying you because that's what you should be saying about everyone else here. We want you to be lifted up and blessed by the Lord. Pride is the expectation from others of what more they could or should be doing for you. That's pride. Why do you think that anyone should do more for you? You don't deserve what they've already done. If you understand humility. Pride is the selfishness that hinders and limits you from being a true servant to others. It holds you back from getting down to your husband. 
You wives, why do you have any pride left? When you married, you were supposed to have hit the silver lever that it's all gone. You were made for Him and He was not made for you. There's none left. Humble yourself. Be a cheerful, willing servant of your husband. He'll take care of you. He has a men's meeting on Wednesday night. Pride is the pleasure that you receive at hearing about another person experiencing some evil or doing evil in their lives. 1 Corinthians 13 warns us about that. True charity does not rejoice in iniquity. We never rejoice in hearing something bad in another person's life either happening to them or them doing something wrong. That just bothers us. It grieves us. Rivers of waters run down our eyes when that happens. If we're properly humble and not proud. When we're proud, we like bad things happening to others. This is a severe and terrible warning that we have here in this fifth verse. If you're proud or you think that you're something, God resists you. And when God resists you, you aren't going to make progress in any direction that is good. If you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is warning us. This is a severe and terrible warning. Because if God resists you, you are stopped in your tracks. If you can't hear this warning from God and it's not gripping you, then repent and open your ears to these words. If God resists, you can't even start to move or move to success. He is irresistible and immovable. If God resists you, and that should be enough of a warning, but the actual case is far worse. The warning here is more than it sounds. When the Bible says something like this, that God resisteth the proud, it is a figure of speech called meiosis or litotes. It is an understatement. God actively punishes the proud. He doesn't just resist them. The Bible uses this kind of terminology. When Paul would say, I'm a citizen of no mean city, you know, that's an understatement. He was a, he was a citizen of the city of Rome. He was a Roman citizen. But when the Bible says something like this, it's a warning. God actively punishes. Look at Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 5. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone that is proud in heart before it even gets out into your actions. Just that you think you're something special. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. You are an abomination. Though hand, join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. See, God does more than just resist you when you're proud. You don't have a better family. You don't have a better walk with God. You aren't closer to Him. You aren't better professionally. You aren't better academically. God just gave you easy teachers. You say, how do you know that? Why don't you know that? Get down about thinking about yourself. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, it doesn't matter what kind of confederacy you have and how many other people are approving of you and how many other people want to shake your hand because they think you're something special, you will be punished. Because God resists the proud. Hear the warning from Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34 where these words come from. Surely He scorneth the scorners. 
That's where these words come from. God resisteth the proud. Surely he scorneth the scorners. Now, which words do you like better? I think the New Testament's a little more merciful in its sound than what I just read to you from Proverbs 3 and verse 34. This is serious business that God is threatening if we do not get rid of our pride. Jehovah actively hates pride. You know, we cannot ordain a novice because a novice with the authority and the position of being a pastor of a church could be lifted up and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now remember, we have a decision to make when we have a prepositional phrase that says the condemnation of the devil. Does that mean the devil is condemning the novice that is in the office? Or does that mean that the novice is going to find himself guilty of the sin that condemned the devil? Remember? He falls into the condemnation of the devil meaning we can't ordain a novice because he could be lifted up with pride and be guilty of the same sin as the devil. And then he gets condemned right along with the devil because the devil's the first one that said, I will be like the Most High. Isaiah chapter 14. It is pride that got the devil thrown out of heaven. God hates pride. He and his, that is the devil and his angels, are reserved for everlasting torment in the lake of fire. Pride is one of the devil's main tricks to lead you into sin. 1 John 2.16, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You shall be like gods, he told our first parents. It is a Bible law that pride will cause destruction. What cometh before a fall? According to the book of Proverbs, pride. But before honor is humility. These are laws of divine force given to us in the book of Proverbs. Humility leads to honor. Pride leads to a fall. God will bring you down. Pharaoh thought he was something. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Do you know what happened to that man for saying that? What happened to his family? What happened to his firstborn? What happened to his nation? What happened to his waters? What happened to his kneading troughs? What happened to his chariot? His chariot was made by the best chariot makers in the world, but the wheels came off. God resisteth the proud. He's going to resist you. Get rid of every, get rid of it all. Stoop to your little siblings. Michael, is it hard for you to honor Courtney? What have you done nice for Courtney recently? You're just an example. It's Courtney's time. In fact, it's always Courtney's time. Now, Courtney, you'll be listening to the other side of that coin. Every one of us in here. But he giveth grace to the humble. Okay, Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. He giveth grace to the humble. Oh, he resisteth the proud. We do not want him resisting us. Let's get rid of all the high and foolish thoughts about ourselves, about our thoughts. Do you know that we can have thoughts about how great our thoughts are? And that if only anybody else could tap in and draw off some of the wisdom of our thoughts? Don't all look at me like I'm Judas Iscariot. (laughs) You all think that you think some pretty good thoughts. 
We're all in the same boat. You know where that boat's going without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's going to hell, and it's not going slowly. It's taking on water every time I think. But for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm glad He thought for me. All He could think about was doing the will of His Father, and He never ceased from doing the will of His Father. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. This is a long verse. Don't get bored with it. If you get bored with a verse like this, you have a spiritual problem. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. He giveth grace to the humble. This high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, this God will walk with those that have a contrite, that is a broken heart in contrition and repentance about your foolishness and sins. Isaiah 66, just a few pages over. 66, Thus saith the Lord, verse 1, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? You can't build me a temple. I inhabit and fill heaven and earth. You going to try to put me in a box? Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That is wonderful. For this, forget Solomon's temple, forget Zerubbabel's temple. Those temples God did not care about. He owns all the stones on earth. He owns all the gold and silver. But there is a man that I will come and meet with. A man that is humble and poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. Do you tremble at the word of God? When I read a verse like that, do you tremble before it and realize I need to give God that poor and contrite spirit. I need to tremble at his word. Did you hear how rich God blessed Solomon according to David's reading to us from 1 Kings 3? He said, I am but a little child. Is it hard for you to cough out those words? I want to... I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. I love Solomon giving us that example. Solomon was trained and loved by his two parents very much. He was not a stupid, foolish little boy that was playing b-ball all the time or video games. He was Solomon, son of David and Bathsheba. Read about him in Proverbs chapter 4 where he describes the relationship he had with his mother and father. But yet he said, I am but a little child and I don't know how to go out or to come in. These are your great people. I am. I can't do what my father did. Will you give me a wise and understanding heart? And the Lord loved that prayer. When you get down before the Lord and tell Him, I can't do it, I don't know how to do it, I'm too weak to do it, Lord... Well, that's when the Lord will come to, He'll rescue you. He will rescue you. Verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Therefore, 
When we find a therefore, we want to know what conclusion is being drawn by the scriptural writer and by the Holy Ghost. Humble yourselves, therefore. That is because in the third part of verse 5, there is a warning that God is going to resist the proud and He's going to give more grace to the humble. Therefore, we should want to get humble. Therefore, we should want to get rid of all pride. And the best place to start is to get down low before God. Once you get down low before God, that's going to get you closer to getting low and down before others who are the Lord's. So we start with Him. We get down before Him. If God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, then we should want to humble ourselves right now. There are good reasons to get over yourself and pride, to clothe yourself with humility. And we were just given them. God will punish the proud. God will bless the humble. To learn, hum, to learn and practice godly humility, there are rules and suggestions in God's Word for it. Hate pride. Proverbs 8 and verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate pride and to hate arrogancy. And the evil mouth and the froward way I hate. That's wisdom. Wisdom to hate certain things. A proud heart and an arrogant heart. Lord, teach us those things. Have a holy hatred for anything that smells like a backdoor compliment. Something I've already mentioned today. Let another man's mouth praise thee and not thine own. Anything you have is a gift from God. Don't act like it's something you've earned. Under the mighty hand of God. Do you know how weak and pitiful you are? Your whole existence ends with a clothespin. Where do I put the clothespin to end your existence? Just pinch off your breath. God says in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 22, Cease ye from man. Don't put any trust in men whose breath is in his nostrils. A clothespin, it's all over. And he's the infinite, I am that I am. Creator of the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, he inhabiteth eternity. How do you inhabit a dimension of time? He's the lofty one. I will not exercise myself in matters too high for me. But he inhabits eternity, and I love a God that inhabits eternity. Psalm 4.4 says, stand in awe and sin not. Do you want to get rid of your pride? Get a vision of God as the Bible teaches. Never pray as that haughty Pharisee, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not as wicked as that man over there. Oh, don't pray that way. Don't even think that. Don't, don't go anywhere near that. Just confess your sins to the Lord. He'll never sacri- he'll never despise the sacrifice of a broken or a contrite heart. And he'll exalt you in due time. David was humble, wasn't he? Saul to uh, Abner. Who is that stripling? Just killed Goliath. Who is the stripling? I, I am the son of Jesse, your servant, the Bethlehemite. Do you know what he could have done? He could have gone for the gold that day. He had a head about that big around in his left hand, and he had a huge sword in his right hand, and he was a ruddy, good-looking guy, and he was just asked, Who are you? I'm your champion, Saul. I just killed Goliath. I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. Jonathan falls in love with him. For what? 
The grace of his lips. Right. How was the grace demonstrated? Humility. Who, re- who was the proud one in this relationship? Saul. Who was the humble one? David. Did God resist Saul the rest of his life? Yes. Did God take care of David? Did he ever exalt him in due time? That timing may not be our timing. That timing may not even have been David's timing, but he humbly waited. When he could have cut his head off on two occasions, did he humbly say, that is the Lord's anointed? That is the Lord's anointed. Hadn't David been anointed 10, 15, 20 years earlier by Samuel's horn of oil? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, even though there were all those afflictions pushing him down, Saul chasing him. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of God, and he was lifted up in due time. He took the throne of Israel in God's time, and God was with him. And whatever he did prospered. We put ourselves under that mighty hand of God and humble ourselves to it, that he may exalt us in due time. Casting all your care upon him. Do you know one reason that we're proud? I know what you're thinking, Joshua. Do do you know one reason why we're proud? Don't just ignore that comment, jury. I was speaking to a juror, and I shouldn't have been. What's one reason that we have this pride, this self-defense mechanism in us that wants to put others down and put us up? Because we want to defend ourselves. It's a mechanism in us. I'm going to take care of number one. Robert J. Ringer wrote a book that's been foamed about by so many. It was actually put on my ministerial books to read. I don't know why it was there and I never read it. I hope that none of you are disappointed. Robert J. Ringer is looking out for number one. Number one, not being the Lord. Number one, not being your neighbor. Number one, being yourself. You know, we defend ourselves by wanting to attack and and avenge any wrongdoing toward us because we think that we got to care for ourselves. If no one else is going to protect me, I've got to do it. You've got the Lord protecting you, casting all your cares upon Him. These were a persecuted people. These people were in trouble. We have learned that in every chapter, they were under afflictions and suffering, and we are three verses away from reading about those sufferings again because in verse 10, "...but the God of all grace..." who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. So there's two issues here at stake in this seventh verse of casting all your care upon him because it's a transitional passage. The next thought we're going to get is the devil, then the sufferings that they are under. And if you were to be subject to all others, yea, and all of you be subject one to another. If you were always subject to another, the thought goes through our minds, who's going to care about me? The Lord will care about us. And there's so many verses to that end, and I get to near my closing time, because Matthew Eastland two weeks ago gave you, does anyone care? Yes, God cares for you, and He used this text, and He gave you a number of good cross-references. You know, the Apostle Paul was constantly in danger and warned of more danger, but it did not move him because he knew that the Lord was going to take care of him. And take care of him, the Lord most certainly did. Casting all your care upon him. The way that we can get down and always be giving. If I'm always giving like you're preaching, who's going to give to me? 
I get uncomfortable even saying that. Do you get uncomfortable hearing it? If I give to others, who's going to give to me? The one that said, but he giveth grace to the humble. He, he what? He giveth grace to the humble. If I'm always giving, who's going to give to me? The Lord God will give to you. There isn't a sparrow that escapes his sight in his providential mercy over its life. As has already been mentioned today in this assembly by this church, he knows the number of hairs on your head. The details of his children are very comforting to go into the Bible and to find in Psalm 56 and verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And then in verse 8, thou tellest all my wanderings. God has counted up all the wanderings in your life. Dost thou not have my tears in your bottle? And are they not written in your book? You can cast all your cares upon him. There is no reason for pride to protect yourself. You can clothe yourself with humility. You can be subject one to another. God will resist you if you don't. He'll bless you with grace if you will. You can just cast all your cares upon him. Just throw them off and forget them other than the ordinary, understandable necessities of providing for yourself in a limited, reasonable way, He will take care of the rest. May the Lord bless you to remember that when your father and your mother forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. Thank you, brother, from two weeks ago as well. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word, and may we increase even more and more in humility in this church. Amen.